0: Welcome to Episode 5 of the Business Support Podcast from Skipton Bid and Rumble Radio. I'm Stuart Clarkson and with businesses starting to open up again or adapting to the post-pandemic world, we've got a series of experts on hand to answer your questions and provide some help and advice across a range of topics. Earlier in the series, we've covered stress and well-being in the workplace. We looked at HR issues hospitality and tourism and also financial support for businesses. Do check out some of our previous episodes, lots of useful advice in amongst them. At this time we're talking about reinventing your business mm-hmm. and with us we've got Michael Tolan from Landcliffe Limited. Michael's a business coach and mentor as well as an accountant. Julian Horrocks is here. Uh, Julian's background in commercial and corporate law but has been a business mentor for the last 15 years plus and Don McComb is a business mentor with a background in the manufacturing sector in particular. Hello to all.
1: Good morning. Morning.
0: Morning. So lots of business owners have uh, had a lot of time to think over the last 12 months about the direction of their company. There's opportunities as well for new startups or completely changing your business. We're talking about all different kinds of businesses here. You could start supplying masks or sanitizer or PPE, people doing all sorts or uh, turning their restaurant into a, into a takeaway business. Do you see the last 12 months as uh, a time where there have been opportunities or has it been about kind of maintaining the status quo and taking stock of your business. Michael, let's come to you first.
2: Yeah, I think it's it's been a very reflective period, I think the last 12, 18 months. I think people have had to do quite a lot of soul-searching. Are they in the right businesses? Have they got the right type of business? I think there's an unusual calm over the market at the moment. I hope that people do take this time to reflect and really look at their businesses, see whether or not there's areas to change, adapt, maybe... Pivot to some extent. Pivot's a very popular phrase at the moment, but people just need to have a, that reflective look at the business and say, I'm in the right place. Now's the time maybe to uh, refocus elsewhere. So I think it's a, a reflective period more than anything else, really.
0: And we'll come on to talk about how you might do that a little bit later in the podcast. Julian, you know, does a situation like this present opportunities to people?
3: Undoubtedly. I think the pandemic, and more importantly, the consequent lockdown you've got to view it as a catalyst for change. Now, that doesn't apply to all businesses, but I think it applies to a great many of them. Some of them just can't survive, so have shut down. Some have had to change the way they do business, and others have had to take a seat back and do a serious strategic review of where they're going over the over the next five years. So, but the key phrase is, it's a catalyst for change. If it helps you, Stuart, uh, I picked up a quote from... Tony Blair, I don't necessarily agree with this completely, but he said this pandemic, is it's not a crisis with a beginning and an end. We have to look at it as a new state of the world. And I think there's some truth in that.
0: Yeah, I think people have been thinking that oh, we'll get over this, we'll get back to normal soon, but there isn't going to be a, a normal like we knew it before. Um, Don, people have carried on making stuff. I know some of your background is in manufacturing. The country hasn't ground to a halt, so clearly every business hasn't just shut down and stopped making stuff. So life goes on.
1: Yes, indeed, and you know I can give many examples of where businesses have thrived through this pandemic. To pick up what Michael said about the uh, the P word, the pivot word. Uh, a good example of this is a, is a company in Bradford who are a um, commercial printers, and they came to me and said we want to go into uh, face shields, because it fitted with their values, but they wanted to do it correctly. So we, within four weeks, we sourced, we got it regulated, we went through the supply chain. And they now have pivoted successfully and are supplying face shields into the local regional development area, the local authority, the hospital, hair salons, this kind of thing. A complete change. And they are there and they're now building on that, on that um pivot to build other products into that portfolio whilst retaining their uh commercial printing identity. So it it is out there. Now they probably saw an opportunity and went for it but there's many other examples of businesses where they've diversified as well as as julian says there's many businesses that have decided is that we're going to hibernate for the next next year until it becomes viable for us to open again
0: yeah, uh, printing is a good example, isn't it? I've seen so many kind of sticky labels on the floor saying two metres yeah. apart. You know, we weren't printing those before. They were printing marketing materials, but they're doing Absolutely, this instead. Yeah. So yeah. I suppose it's about using the equipment and the the knowledge that you've got to think how you can get into a new market and the, the obvious example of that is in the hospitality sector where restaurants haven't been able to have people in, but they've still got the kitchen, they've still got the expertise, they can cook the food, whether that's them packaging it up for people to warm up at home or whether they're sending it out hot.
1: Yes, and that's that's true of, uh, of other areas as well. There's a, a client I'm working with who uh, makes vehicles and they've repurposed their vehicles away from what they were doing into doing something else so if you if you think of of these buses which are now soup kitchens hot food distributors and vaccination mobile vaccination centers it is opportunist and it may not be for the long term but it, it's showing businesses is that they can adapt and they can make these changes relatively quickly and relatively cheaply.
2: I think. We saw that, didn't we, on the last episode of the Stuart way with looking at hospitality, the amount of people on that call who they, they had to change their their industry just to suit the, the market. Takeaways, even I think it was uh, James Stavely, how they've had to change how they present their offering, making it more easy to people to book online. So I think you, you saw some of the, the business reinvention in that previous podcast, which uh, gave you a, a glimpse as to how people are doing it at the the sharp end of the business really because you know, the hospitality business has, has been devastated i think we'll all agree but they've shown signs of how to be innovative and just uh, to be a bit smart really
0: the better prepared businesses i guess were the ones who had the technology there already to be able to say right we can do click and collect from tomorrow you know we can we can quickly change because we've already got systems in place that we were using julian
3: yes that's right uh, i still think there is there are some businesses who can improve their online offering and i think in terms of adaptation some of those businesses probably should concentrate their effort on on that
0: we talked about pivoting um is there opportunity for businesses to think do you know what this line of business that i'm in it's dead now it's you know i've not made any money the last few months and i can't see a future for it how easy is it to completely change your business and say right i'm going to scrap that and start a new idea
3: you can change, as, as I think it was Michael who said, businesses can adapt, can diversify in relatively short periods of time. I mean, put it this way, uh, were it not for COVID, would, we've, would we have embraced the concept of working from home? Answer, probably not. Uh, in other words, were it not for COVID, then in 10 years time, we'd still all be gaily climbing into the car, onto the bus, onto the train, doing the daily commute. Uh, and spending eight hours in the office. But it's taken COVID for us to suddenly realise, hey, wow, working from home, for some of us at least, is quite a good thing. And it's worked incredibly. I mean, there was a a survey done by Grant Thornton, which I read about in yesterday's FT. Apparently, Grant Thornton, the accountants, have consulted all their staff, which I think was over 4,000 UK staff, and said, right, do you like homeworking? And 88% replied, yes, we do, and we want more of it. Well, 88%, how many surveys do you get where 88% all agree with one of them? And that was across the board in terms of age, ethnicity, seniority, uh, junior staff, you couldn't draw any distinction between men, women, 20-year-olds, 50-year-olds, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. That was phenomenal.
0: And we've seen a lot of people, I think, relocating out of London and moving up to places like Yorkshire because they know they can still keep their job in London and do it from home now instead. I, I wonder whether it takes big events like this to kind of bring that change about quicker for businesses as a whole i know i remember watching a documentary about uh concord and when 9-11 happened and all the flights were grounded and the businessmen suddenly realized they couldn't get to new york same day for a meeting and come back again they had to use video conferencing instead so again you know as you've just talked about, because we can't go to those face-to-face meetings, we've used video conferencing instead and that's changed us and it's, it's done it overnight almost. Is it better to have that change happening like that rather than over a gradual period, Michael?
2: Yeah, I think it's interesting uh, and the, the word pivot has become very topical, hasn't it? But before we decide, pivoting has been part of, an evolutionary part of a lot of businesses. It's not, it's not a, a word that's just got notoriety in recent times. Like, for example, YouTube that used that started its life as, I think, from memory, a dating site. So businesses constantly evolve and develop as they go along. So pivoting is not something that you get off the shelf when times are hard. I think pivoting is. I remember a, a, a really interesting phrase. I, I think it was from a guy from from Intel, uh, the CEO there, and he said on the line that snow melts from the outside. So snow melts from the edges, and often. Changes or inflection points in businesses often occur on the on the, the boundaries, on on where the the uh, the gra- the snow meets the ground, and I think sometimes a lot of people just need to bear that in mind. Is if they are going to pivot, just why are they pivoting? Uh, have they spoken to their their team, their organisation? Is there good reason to pivot, or is it just in the the directors' heads? Or has it been thought through? Because often people think of pivoting as a bit like a handbrake turn. Pivoting can be just subtle. It doesn't have to be that 180 handbrake turn, really. Don't throw the bathwater out with the baby, I suppose, is the the traditional phrase, because uh, you might have a good, solid business that just possibly needs some some enhancements or some modifications, really.
0: Don, you talked about the, the printing firm that you were working with. You know, was that a gut thing? Right, everybody needs these face masks now, the plastic visors. Let's get on and make those. Or was there research done behind something like that?
1: They were actually in response to requests that they were they were having or discussions they were having, not not um, formal discussions. Uh, i.e. taking a product out there, and they responded to this. And we're, we're talking now right in the middle of the pandemic when PPE was very very short. But one of the things that they they did was they decided very early on: is if if we're going to do this, we're going to do it properly. We're going to do it with regulated. We're going to have it it certified. Uh, and that threw up all kinds of challenges, because then it's trying to find the right material and, and to go along with everything else that goes on in the supply chain of this is, is immense. So we decided on a set of rules there. So we knew the product we were going to manufacture. We knew it had to be regulated. We wanted uh, raw materials that were coming from the local area as far as possible. Uh, and and the whole lot came together very, very quickly. Uh, and it went there. But to, to pick one of the other things they did is to pick up on what Michael was just saying, is that many businesses throughout to this uh, pandemic and with Julian saying about uh, Grant Thornton as well, is a communication policy was lacking Really lacking with many businesses, and they have to have a good communication policy to say, This is what we're doing, this is how we're going to do it, Um, and this is why we're doing it to make sure that everybody buys into it. Because even the subtle changes, as Michael was talking about, it's different. It's a different way of working. Working from home is different, blended working is different. So the communication policy, even now, has to be a vital piece of the uh, policies that a business has.
3: Going back to this point about working from home, I I think this is a massive challenge for management and to a lesser extent employees. But from management's point of view, I mean, I appreciate that many of them have acquired 12 months experience of it now, but how do you effectively distance manage your employees? How do you manage their career prospects? How do you ensure that the employee remains uh, effective, efficient, when they're just working by themselves at the kitchen table? Uh, and there's enormous challenges here. There will always be those who say, I missed the, the social interaction, the face-to-face, the banter over the water cooler in the office, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and, and that's undoubtedly true. But if home-based work is here to stay, and I've got a feeling it is here to stay, then, for management, how the hell are we going to look after our people? Do we need to change the financial packages we offer them? Do we we need to start paying them an allowance for the fact, daft as it sounds, their gas and electricity bills have suddenly gone up because they're sitting at home and uh, using more lights? I mean, it could get really silly. I mean, you could get an awkward employee who says, Well, when I came into the office, I got free tea and coffee. Now I have to buy my own. So I want an allowance for that, for God's sake. I mean, it could get ludicrous. But I can see companies beginning to say to themselves, right, we actually need state-of-the-art appraisal system. Because if we're managing on a distance basis, we have got to stay clued in switched in with our employees so maybe you have appraisals not annually but you have them every three months even if they're done via zoom god forbid Um, uh, maybe you have more corporate wrong word perhaps get togethers if if your workforce is scattered across myriad individual homes then is there a greater need to get them all together in a pub in a hotel whatever Uh, and get some more interaction going and get them working together.
0: I suppose uh, when you look at your balance sheets and you see the rent going out for your business premises or you see the the value of a business premises that you've got to sell that you've hardly got anybody sat in anymore, that's the quick win for the business and the the longer-term issues are perhaps not considered straight away.
3: Yep. I mean, I, I would think that there'll be some businesses who... Uh, Say those who've just moved into swanky, uh, very expensive city centre offices that are just groaning because their rent bill will just be horrendous. Mm. And I think that particularly applies to service companies because they're the ones that tend to uh, take up the the most expensive city centre offices.
0: And on working from home, uh, I suppose uh, uh, the other important thing is is that the technology works because it won't take long before staff get frustrated if their virtual IP phone system doesn't work or the connections to their servers are are going down all the time. So technology is key here, isn't it?
3: It is. It's absolutely key. And I suspect that uh, a great many employers have already uh, bought mass amounts of equipment and had had it home delivered to their employees? I agree
1: with everything Julian said. Just an example of uh, of a larger company, all their their service-based people have opted to work from home. Uh, And so the, the, the chap has repurposed the environment that all these people used as office space, so it's actually used as manufacturing space now or storage space. They've invested an awful lot into technology in terms of, Items that they can use on the move. So everyone's being bought an iPad-type uh, item. They've invested in uh, new servers. But interestingly, I think the point that I was I was trying to get to is that what they've decided to do is that once a month or or at a regular period, they all must attend uh, a get together at, at a at one of these um, rooms you can hire for a for a day or a week or a month or whatever. And the the biggest challenge that they have now is developing an agenda which meets the needs of everybody. So you're going to communicate the needs of the business, where the business is, what it's doing, but also that bit of team building in terms of how does the team now communicate with one another and building that team mentality. Uh, it's it's a huge challenge.
2: It's interesting now more than ever the the leaders, the the managers, the owners of these businesses now more than ever that they're, they're skills are found to be in need of help and supplement. And I think it's, if there ever was a time for mentors to come into their audience to help these people in these challenging times because it's not as though you've got your staff in front of you, literally in the office. They are in various corners of the, the county. And it has presented, I think everyone will concur throughout the country, it has presented some of the leaders with a, a whole new different ball game. They're, they're almost managing a different game of football. And they need to have that skill set. And some of those managers, well, up and admit, I've had people say to me, it's a whole new ballgame trying to manage staff virtually. So I think now more than ever, they need some help to the SME business owners. They need those leadership help and support that you know, people on this call like Don and Julie can offer. Really.
0: Where are the opportunities then, um, if you are pivoting your business, where are the areas that are going to do well coming out of this?
3: i got a feeling pandemic has um uh, generated a heightened sense of community um in all sorts of different ways and i'm just wondering if provided that uh, greater sense of community doesn't disappear into the mists of time that whether whether it can be harnessed to give added momentum to local shops local businesses uh, and whether the rise and rise of independent shops uh, will continue to increase over time I, I i haven't got my brain around it i just get a sense though that that there's momentum behind that and and if somebody well i'm thinking specifically of skipton you know skipton's a smallish town quite a lot of independent type businesses, and there could be something in in that for them, but they've got to get their their product offering right. Whether that means they've got to improve customer service, whether that means they've got to embrace online uh, selling more, I'm unsure. But I just wonder if there's something in that.
1: I, I don't disagree. I think in some some areas the community high street, rather than talk about the high street, is is but all these premises that become, you know. So if the if the local community said we want a baker, a fishmonger, a candle maker, whatever it is, butcher, then actually if the community then embraces that by going to the community high street and doing their shopping, then I think there's a long way for for that to go. I think it's a it's a it's a it's a big aspect of what's going to come in the future.
2: Yeah, and I think I think there's a generation now that are growing up that are embracing. They're more prepared to embrace things, aren't they? The, the more prepared to have this hybrid. It's not all about. I know that my daughter generation that everything's online, but I think there are generations now with the greener agenda and what have you. People that are more prepared to take ownership and take pride in the area rather than just before we used to work in silos, didn't we? Like I think it might have been. Jill was saying, we got on the train, went to work, we never spoke to anybody. Now it's almost, it's a completely different aspect now. People are more prepared to, you know, even talk in the street. I know sometimes you have to walk on the side of the road sometimes, but we are coming a bit closer together. The social distancing isn't quite as bad, but uh, it's amazing how people are talking and want to take pride in the local areas, really. so I think think Jill has done to a a very valid point there. And Skipton is a good, very, very good placing point because it's one of these points, is it? it's very got very much a tourist area, but when the tourists go away, there's still, I don't know how many, 50,000 people or whatever living in Skipton. So it still needs a heart and soul, doesn't it?
0: We're talking about reinventing your business and pivoting. Michael Tolan is with us, Julian Horrocks and Don McComb as well. In terms of how you run the strategy for your business, is simple best? You know, if I'm if I'm looking to change my business, is actually looking at what my core product or my core service is and what I do best and streamlining it from everything else and, and focusing on one thing. Is that a good
3: strategy? Uh, I would say so. It does depend on the business, though, and, and the product and the service. But, yeah, I would keep it simple. Uh, but I say that more uh, based on the experience I've had of uh, starting up companies. Let's keep it simple, clean. Uh, Rather than have too many products and services. But I guess if you're Uh,
0: if you're struggling as a business at the moment, you could look at what your successful bit is and lose some of the rest and focus it down on one thing. If you're going to adapt,
3: yeah, I I would. I'd then build it up from there. You can you can expand the product range if you want. You can diversify if if you want, but keep it simple to begin with. And if necessary. I'm mean again we're talking in very general terms here and and what we're saying won't apply to every single business but uh do some market research It's, it's not a case of do i or don't i do market research i would always say do it uh the question is how much you do and secondly crucially listen to what you're told rather than just rejecting it because you've had this bright idea for something and it becomes a sort of fixation in your mind and and you close your mind to, to what your potential market's telling you.
0: And I know people who've got great ideas and come up with ideas. I've got this great name for the business. I'm going to call it this. And they don't realise that somebody in the next town has got a business called exactly the same thing, doing the same thing, because they've not found that out.
3: Very true. Very true. Always listen to feedback when you do market research.
2: We're all built to react to instinct, out when we? always like to try and find the solution. Rather than identify what the people's pain problem is, what what's hurting you, what's what causing your problem. So I thought it's just trying to almost do the reverse by saying, well, what is it that the market needs? And again, just touching back on something Julian touched there about the research, there's uh, quite a, a well known methodology called the Lean Startup, uh, which a guy called Eric, Eric Reese uh, developed uh, 20, 30 years ago in the States. And that is very much just Start with a basic product or a basic service. Just test it. Sometimes it can be just an idea. It can be just a, almost a cardboard cutout if you're just trying to get some validation and just go and ask the market, you know, would you buy this? So you're almost going through a process of test the market, gauge whether or not there's a market there, and if they say, well, no, actually, I, I like it slightly different or you've got too many bells or not enough bells. If you put some more bells on it, I might buy it then go back and adjust your product. So you're almost going into the market, not with a fully completed product. Because a lot of people, and I speak to a lot of people, you know, well, I've been in, in development now for 12 months. What exactly are you actually building? Oh, I've got to get the, the perfect beast. It's got to hit the, the market right. But all too often, that traditional approach is quite costly. There's no revenue for, for years on end. But if they try to the alternative approach where start small, take it to the market, test it, adapt, then it's a, Easier form, it's more rapid, uh, and the the startup, the lean startup methodology is gaining a lot of traction. I I don't know, uh, Dom probably sees this better from his area, but there is a lot of merit in start small with a focus and just, if needs be, just adapt a bit more. And it takes in Julian's research uh, angle, which I think covers all bases really
0: Certainly for new products, I think, Don, you know, beta testing and, um, you know, seed funding to to kind of get the first version out there and then build on it afterwards.
1: Absolutely. And many a time I've seen uh, guys who, who who were not putting it out until it's absolutely 110%. Current. By the time they've got there, someone else has beat them to it. And so there is this thing of... Look, Go with your first one, knowing that you're going to have to get a version two out there and develop it and bring it to market and, you know, get some revenue in that's actually going to feed that development cost that's going to come through. Um And and prior to that, I absolutely agree with what everyone said, but the number of times that somebody is, I can only work off examples. A guy came to me six, seven months ago and he said, well, develop this engineering thing, which fits on to convert a." Uh, a normally aspirated engine into an electric engine and you need to do this to add this thing to it and we said oh that sounds really really good really innovative really clever no one else was doing it Uh, we'd done all the research and it was only then that he told me the price of it and the price of it was just ridiculous it was it's nonsense well, no and his forecast was to send 10,000 of these a year and all the rest of it and I said well it'll just never work no one no one would pay that because that's more than the price of a car yes you could go and do it for your um classic cars but the run of the mill sierras no one's going to put one on it i'm sorry it just doesn't work and that's all because he hadn't done his research right at the beginning using simple things like a swot analysis using a pestle or using an ansoft matrix where you know just throws three models alone would probably give you all the right answers to allow you to go to the next stage but product life cycle get out there once you've decided it's it's viable and, and go and do it and then work on the on the development that comes afterwards is the right way to, as far as I can see.
0: I want to talk about um, exit strategies briefly. How important is it to have one and at what stage should you plan the exit strategy for your business? Should that be something you think about before you even start it?
1: Absolutely. The minute that you've got it, always know what your exit strategy is going to be. Your exit strategy may change uh, and probably will change. Um, and just through this this recent pandemic, there's lots of, lots of businesses with, with people who have decided is that, no, I'm, I'm I'm finishing, that's it. And they've sold their business, but also there's lots of businesses where the, uh, the value wasn't in the business to actually f- enable retirement. So in some cases, people have even pivoted on that and they've actually gone to employee ownership. So th- there's lots of ways of doing it.
2: Yeah, it's interesting because I spoke to a number of startups in my time. And one of the questions I ask startups, even the pre-startups, is, so you've got this fantastic idea, you know, you've got this lovely, mostly it's in the head, I hasten to add, uh, but there's nothing wrong with that to start with. But then you, when you ask the question, so when you're selling, the turn around to and say something along the lines, well, you're a bright rare whole you? yeah, do you mean when we're selling? We haven't started yet, Michael. Yeah, but when you're selling? And I think the, the, the big concept, and I think it, it's getting traction in the UK, is that, built to sell because evidence shows from research around the world that 70% of businesses that get listed for sale never sell. And we're living in times now where uh, the baby boomers, uh, the business owners, the baby boomers there are either coming to the market or maybe being put off from coming to the market because of coronavirus or maybe come, come forward. There's going to be quite, I think there's there talk of there are 3 million businesses in the UK alone that fit the baby boomer marketing tag, And if they're going to come to the market in the next couple of years, we can do the mask out with 70% of those aren't going to, to sell. And I think also some business owners I speak to, they often think that, well, I'll just stick the business on the market and somebody will buy it, akin to buying a house. But it doesn't quite work like that. I, I had a, a client, family business, and they were in the, the cycle business. They had a, a well-known business, a well-known brand. And when they put the business on the market, it was on for two years. It didn't get any takers. But then when we look closely, there's nothing to sell because they got £150,000 of of cash because they're good Yorkshire boys that they saved for the, the rainy day. And they've got £100,000 of stock, which was got a questionable value, and they only realised £1,000. So often a lot of businesses haven't got anything to sell. But unfortunately, a lot of business owners tend to look on the, the business as their pension, their cash out. And you need to plan a, a good exit strategy because... On average, it takes five years to get a business ready to sell. And often, as Don's alluded to there, some of the owners that I deal with, they are the business, the
0: Julian, I, I guess the businesses people want to buy are the ones that are probably not for sale.
3: Yeah, that could be right. <laughs> just just going back to what Michael was saying, I, I've got a friend down south who started a consultancy business. She was really good. The consultancy operated in one specific sector, which she knew inside out, she built it up to about 20 people pandemic struck and she it took her about 10 10 minutes to come to the view right i'm just putting this company into liquidation because the nature of a business is such yeah she's got got lots of work in progress that all her employees are building up and, and you know she can convert that work work in pro, progress into invoices and then she's got Invoices or already sent out to clients. But the problem is she's got nothing else in the business. And this this is the problem for consultancy businesses. There's no hard, tangible assets there. They're people-based businesses. And pandemic just runs amok when you're completely reliant on time spent, which is work in progress. Uh, And your ability to or inability to convert that into invoices with all the uncertainty as to whether or not those invoices will get paid. So rather than borrow on the furlough scheme or whatever, uh, you know, the government loan scheme, she says, I don't want to settle myself with debt. I'm going bust. I think that was the right decision for her.
0: Well, flip side of that, we've had some questions and things sent in and one for this episode um, came in and said the last year has been really tough with the government support we've had. I thought about closing for good and making 12 staff redundant, but in the end I couldn't bring myself to do it. I had to take out loans. I've invested more personally so that we can reopen next week and it'll take years to repay some of this debt. I can't help feeling I should have put myself above the security of my team. Um, It's a tough decision, isn't it, to close a business down and to just liquidate it when you've got employees' livelihoods at stake.
3: It is. It's, it's an awful decision. And it it's a very personal decision. Some some people will stay loyal to their team. Others will say, this is just not worth the candle. The bottom line is, I've got to rack up personal debt uh, to keep them in a job. Then some will say, I'm not prepared to do it. For, for others, it, it's a case of saying, I don't want my company to be saddled with debt, which at some point however generous the terms, which at some point is going to have to be repaid. Effectively, I'm I'm just... uh, It'll be a death by a thousand cuts over over a number of years, and that just means hassle and grief for me. So why not just put it under and maybe uh, do a phoenix from the ashes and start up all over again, however brutal that might sound?
2: Yeah, I, I, I echo all of Julian's words. I think it's interesting, and I'm sure... It, it's a lonely business being a business owner, uh, now more than ever. And, you know, the the things that keep them awake at four o'clock at the night, probably getting by the, the minutes. But that point that that anonymous caller's put in is, it just sums up things, isn't it? They're, they're almost, they're so part of the business that they feel as though they're letting everybody down and that it seems a sign of weakness. And it's fully understandable, but the risk of being a killjoy, that, that you've got, the if, if that owner is a, a business diaries for a limited company you've got to be very careful even in these coronavirus times where the government have been very uh, relaxed if you are trading and you've got any indication that you might be in insolvency you've got to be very careful because you could be skating on thin ice and a shout out i suppose for the insolvency practitioners is that people often refer to them as you know somewhat unfairly as the grim reapers but What people don't realise is that liquidation is generally the end of the process. Most of the insolvency practitioners that I know, and I've got a few of our clients, go and speak to them early. If you've got any doubts whatsoever and your accountants have got some concern, go and have an obligation, free one, two-hour chat. Because what they are first and foremost, they never get the credit for. They are rescue and recovery people. And if the business can be rescued and it can be recovered, then that caller there doesn't really need to take some of the steps know below they are to put themselves in that position really. So my advice is if in doubt just go and contact them and there are lots and lots of people out certainly in, in this area that are willing to give that free advice and just have that conversation really rather than bury your head in the sand and go further into the uh, the, the overdraft really.
0: And that brings us nicely on to asking for help and getting support and you guys are obviously doing this on a, on a daily basis. What benefits can you bring to a business if somebody wants some help from a a coach or a mentor um how how can you
1: help them what kind of things can you support them with i think you know that kind of question is it's not nothing prescriptive you my opening gambit is what as michael's just said what keeps you awake at night and you start there and then you 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 work all the way through and it's very very lonely running a business is lonely unless you've got a, a good board of directors but it to seek out people who've got experience, suitable experience from, from sector or industry or from a, an alternative industry, because that's always good because you're getting two sides of the coin. Um, but to have someone who you can trust, mentoring is, is built on trust. Uh, you, you can have an individual conversation, but essentially you have to have a, a trust relationship. Um, I've still got people from 2008 who phone me up now and say, we think thinking of doing this. And I say to all my clients, it doesn't matter whatever time of day or night it is, if there's something that's that bad, just phone me up and we can have a quick chat about it. But we don't know everything. I know nothing about corporate law and commercial law. Julian does. But I know Julian. So we offer, as, you know, it's a signposting service as well. The ultimate thing here is that we know people and we know people that can help. So please don't be afraid to to get in touch with with the likes of coaches and mentors because it's only an asset uh, that you can you can use and abuse to <laughs> whatever you like to ensure that you get to the place where you want to be and Julian people might think you know
0: oh it's a bad thing i need to ask somebody for help but that's not always the case is it
3: there are some people uh, partic- particularly i'm going to go sexist on you now uh, stuart uh, men men are the worst because women are far more collaborative and therefore they instinctively, I think, see, val- see value in having a mentor as opposed to men. That's my experience. Uh, going back to uh, Don's point, I agree with him entirely. Bottom line is a mentor-mentee relationship. It's got be, to be underpinned by trust. And really as mentor, all you're doing is you're offering a second opinion On things you're acting as a sounding board for the mentee and the relationship will thrive if the mentee come comes to have trust belief in the judgment of the mentor that's the key to it 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 goes wider than that with my mentees i do all sorts of different jobs for them i mean one of the first jobs is right find out what the weaknesses are of my mentees uh, and keep them in the forefront of your mind um, i act as a roving ambassador for my mentees businesses um uh I, I i do odd bits of review work assignment work for for them in many ways i'm giving their business the thinking time which they the mentees don't have themselves particularly for startups when it's you know they're all rushing around like headless chickens all the time they they haven't got the thinking time so yeah it's planning it's strategy but above all else it's whatever the mentee wants and so you know i just say to him right well you tell me what you want me to do
0: and michael i guess um there's obviously a cost to having a, a business advisor or a mentor how does a business kind of value that in terms of a return on investment they might
2: get back from it? Well, that's an interesting question, Stuart, because fortunately, you know, we're all members of the Skipton and Ripon Enterprise Group. There's a resource here, and I think we're quite fortunate in the in the, the area that we, we have, and the, the businesses in the, the area have this free access, and the knowledge and experience of the Skipton and Ripon Enterprise Group, which I'll say is Shrek from now on because it's quite a mouthful, <laughs> It's vast and massive. You know, there's people that have been on international boards, even on this call alone today. You know, that the variety of corporate law, manufacturing expertise, that is all free at the point of charge for the Skipton area. So I think we're pretty, we're pretty fortunate there. Just finish off something that Julie mentioned, which was so that I don't know what it is about. I don't know if it's a Northern European thing, but we seem reluctant to embrace any form of help. But if you go over to the States... And I know it's maybe not always the best example, but they embrace coaching and mentoring. They've got no no amount of coaches, but they're all proud of it. Even so, some people often think, you know, the CEO of, of Microsoft he has a, a mentor. You now people think, well, why does the CEO of Microsoft need a mentor? Because he knows everything, does it? No, we don't. None of us know everything. That's why we have this. Uh, I think as as Julian mentioned, we have this sounding board. We have this person that we can. Talk to, they can hold a, a mirror up to us and say, you know, you're not going mad, Stuart. Talk it through, it's good to talk. Yeah, there's, there's lots of evidence produced in recent years about the return investment and people often think that it's a, an unnecessary bottom line cost, but as we've alluded to throughout this call, a lot of business owners, certainly in these times, need that help and support and it's not as expensive as people would, would suggest. It is. It can and there's evidence to show that it does give you a, a very good return on investment. But if anything, anybody's ever worried about it, just contact, not just Skipton, skip but most coaches and mentors will offer a free couple of sessions free of charge just to give people a flavor as to what they can do, really. And often when they start having these discussions, they realize it's, it's not quite you know, £500 an hour, a in a chaise lounge, listening to my Caulfield music. And you know everything's all well in the world. It is it's, they're dealing with as you can see on this call today. they're dealing with people that have been there, got the T-shirts, had the the evidence, and they've got lots to offer. So embrace it. Don't 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 look away and don't look in the sign of weakness. Quite the quite the contrary on really. it.
1: You know, for businesses that 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 are thinking, right, can you afford not to? If everything we've just talked about, can you afford not to? The price is not restrictive, but also to pick up what Julian says, the mentor inside is about working on the business and not in the business and far too often that's what we see every single day is that people are too busy head down backside up inside the business and they're not looking what's what's around them what's the wider aspect
0: it's good to talk to you all thank you for all your help and advice and it's good to know that there's lots of support out there for people if they want to get some further help great thank, thank you you. thanks for listening to this podcast from skipton bid and rumbles radio we've still got more episodes to come looking at managing finances and repaying loans. Head to our website to submit a question rumblesradio.com forward slash skipped and bid podcasts and we'll put it to our experts next time round you can listen back to our previous episodes covering all sorts of things to do with your business all available at rumblesradio.com as well as on Apple, Google and Spotify thank you for listening and join us again for the next one